What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Hey there, Weekend at Bergman's listeners. Joe and I have been recording the podcast a few weeks ahead of time. And so we recorded this episode and the next couple episodes before the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, in case you're wondering why we don't make any mention of it and, and seem unaware that it, that it has happened. And in connecting with a lot of you on social media, I know we're all in the same boat right now. We're all looking for ways to help um, to do our part, to, to contribute to abortion funds, to provide uh, access or housing to, to people who are seeking abortions. Uh, if you are looking for, for additional resources, additional ways to help organizations that you can contribute to, um, I, I wanted to share this with you. Uh, one of our old pals in the podcasting community, Ariel Neesenblatt, uh, she's been a fixture in podcasting for, for years now, created the uh, Earbuds newsletter, which is a great source of uh, podcasting news and is just always a great person to, to sit down and chat with about what's going on in the industry. Uh, she put together this really helpful resource that I want to share with you. Uh, it's a website, podvoices.help podvoices.help. I'll put the link in the show notes as well. And she has compiled uh, a wide range of resources there uh, that can really help to orient you and point you in the right direction uh, if you are looking to help um, uh, but don't quite know how to do that uh, or look or have exhausted all your you know existing resources and are looking for additional resources, additional ways to help. Uh, check out podvoices.help. And we here at, at uh, Weekend at Bergman's, Joe and I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word that restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. And of course, this decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. So check out podvoices.help and see what you can do to help out. Forever. Dog. On today's episode of Weekend at Bergman's, we need a father who's a role model, not some horny geek boy who's going to spray his shorts whenever I bring a girlfriend home from school. That's right, it's July 4th weekend and we are celebrating America with two movies about the country that was made for you and me. And by you and me, I mean me and Joe, because if you are not a white, cis, heterosexual, abled man without need of regular or long-term health care, America is no home at all, unless that home is the House of Usher, and you've been buried alive inside it while you wait for the walls to collapse around you. Fall of the House of Usher, uh, written by a fellow white cis American man, uh, Sexuality TBD. Yeah, I was going to say. And even he couldn't avoid dying in the gutter. Nah. Uh, so there, America sucks and I hate it. Trans people are human beings, black people are human beings, drag queens are human beings. Grow up, America. Stop being a geeky sex criminal. Stop being a violent homophobe. Stop being an incel with a video camera. I'm so mad right now, Joe, I'm going to pull a damn Steve Kerr. <laughs> oh, no. And no, I don't mean I'm going to harass black players on the other team because they don't, quote, play the game the right way, oh, unquote. Okay. Steve Kerr's a hypocrite. Speaking of, quote, unquote, representing the art house, it's the winner of the yeah. 2000 Academy Award for Best Picture, American Beauty, and representing the mainstream, oh, boy, it's the 2004 Nicolas Cage action-adventure film National Treasure. Yeah, Joe, go. are you ready? Oh, hell yeah. Then roll that theme song. 
going on? Wait, oh, just the theme song. What's going on here? Shit. Damn it. <laughs> damn it. All right. So now I think it's best that we go ahead and talk about it. I think it'd be best for the program if you just laid it down once and you put it in in post. What do you say? <laughs> I've got an even better idea. Let's start this over. How about that? What is this? Ooh. Well, not quite together. Thank you, someone. Watch them, them apart. apart. Joe at his house and Brett at his. Thank you, somebody. So well, every week they watch the same <laughs> two movies. Yes, that's what I meant right from the start. Wow. But how do they choose these two movies? How? I'm just sure sit back and enjoy this. Well, what is a brilliant of cinematic art, the height of the medium, and the other one is mainstream. Here we go, here we go. I'm talking popcorn, baby, baby. Hollywood, Hollywood endings. But what happens when they watch them back to back and have to say which one they like better and they have to be honest. I mean, you could really honestly have sex to this theme song. It's so good. That's right. So good. All jokes aside, you could you could make love. And the one that they didn't like so much goes into the trash can. Wow. Never allowed to watch it again. For the rest of our lives. That's the premise of this podcast, and that theme song. What was that? That was by a listener, the very talented Trixie Mercury. Trixie Mercury. Wow. Uh, follow Trixie Mercury on Twitter, uh, Instagram at Trixie Mercury. Uh, incredibly talented. Uh, That's the best thing musician, I ever heard in my life. Content creator, doing great stuff on social. Um, that was really nice. Thank you so much, Trixie. That was uh, truly, truly special. That's amazing. I hope I hear it again. Well, what I was going to say, Joe, is I was I would encourage. <laughs> yeah. You haven't heard yeah. the last. I'm going to say right now, you have not heard the last of me oh. singing the theme song. I like it too much. Yeah, I know. It's for me. Oh, no, that's fuck, that's clear as day. And son. sometimes you just do things for yourself. Sometimes you're selfish. Sometimes. Uh, but what I want to say is I would encourage uh, other uh, musically inclined listeners out there. We're not musically inclined. You hear me giving it a go every week. Anybody uh, who would like to do record a rendition of the Weekend in Bergman's theme song, uh, Please uh, go ahead and send it to weekendbergman at gmail.com. That's weekendbergman at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, I, I would love to play more fan-submitted uh, versions of the theme song that on the show. That is the best idea ever. Also, send us fan art. Send us whatever you want at weekendbergman at gmail.com. Fan art? Or tag That's us on nice. Twitter. You guys are nice. Fan art? Send us anything. We're we'll, having, look, we'll talk about I'm it. I'm glad we'll, you're having you know, fun. We'll post We're having it. fun. I hope. I'm so glad you guys are having fun, have too. Have fun with us. America's a hellhole. Have fun, baby. Have fun with us. So this is the 4th of July episode, Brett. It is. We just celebrated 4th of July. Okay. Or declined to celebrate 4th of July. 4th of July just happened. 4th of July just happened is a good way of saying it. Yes. Okay. Um, great. How was your 4th of July? We're, oh. we're, we're recording this ahead of time. Oh, it was fantastic. I'm actually um, in uh, South Texas right now. That's so funny uh, Not Not that. currently while we're recording, but uh, while this mm -hmm. when this episode comes out, I'm in... Uh, lovely South Texas, and I'm actually Galveston. in Philadelphia, PA. 
Wow. Look at I'm that. In my, the birthplace of I'm America. Back. That's correct. I'm very on theme. I Inspired by National Treasure, I am back in Philadelphia for my cousin Caroline's wedding. I am the priest. God bless. Congratulations, Thanks. Caroline. Thank you very much. Caroline and Jason, happiest of days, I am the priest. Caroline in the city. You know how nowadays... We don't do priests no more. You know, now you get your friend to be the priest. I'm the priest. I'm honored as hell, and I'm excited to celebrate their love. Uh, you dress in as young pope? Of course. Okay, good. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, America. America, uh, the America. beautiful? America. Like in Rent. America. America. Before we get into today's movies, which of course are American Beauty and National Treasure, uh, in a fight to the death, which movie will make the canon as Tristan Mercury sung in that easy? Sorry. Easy? We haven't decided sorry, yet. We sorry. need to let the facts speak for themselves, That's and right. then we will be honest. All we right. will be honest. I never give away my, my position, but folks, this time I have to say it. We've given our position I'm, away I'm gonna just, I'm gonna two just, times previously. I'm going to just give my position. Okay. I don't know how you feel yet, Brett. We talked about this already. I don't know how you feel yet, Brett, but sometimes we come in here and we understand that fucking somebody's about to get so the much. beat down. Yes. We, when we came into this yes. recording studio with, um, what's the name of the Jay Baruchel film? I, she's just uh, she's out, out of my league. She's, she's out, out of my, my league. league. We knew In the Mood for Love was going to provide a, a smackdown, and that's exactly what delivered. What was our second smackdown? Uh, with Tom Sharpling. Oh wait, when Tom was here, which was so fun. If Sweet smell of success check versus it out. the secret of my success. I didn't. I will say though, she's yeah. out of my league. Was and I admitted it on the show. S- it was, was set, set yeah. up. It was a right. setup that was set up to be mm-hmm. a smackdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, to celebrate Wong Kar Wai to put down just sort of shitty. Yeah. Uh, that era rom coms that were coming out. Um, just to watch in the mood for love. It's yes, one of our it was, favorite. It was an excuse movies. to watch in the yeah. mood for love, and and not let anything get in the way of appreciating in the mood for love. Right. Uh, if anything, to increase its greatness by contrast was the was the yeah. goal of that of that um week uh sweet small success and secret my success i was i was waiting because i remember again like i said watch secret of my success as a kid had a lot of, I, I thought i might have some nostalgia for it i did not it's, but when uh, we when, a, but when the three uh, of us sat down we all looked movie. at each other and yeah. we knew in each other's eyes a smackdown was about that smackdown was to was going to occur and this week folks it's just going to be one of those times and is it because National Treasure is a is a blast and a half? Sure. But is it really because American Beauty is not a blast and a half? We need to talk about yes, American Beauty. Yes. Uh, we need to talk about American Beauty. Yeah, because yes. that is that is a that is, man, what a what a bad movie. I feel like more people should be talking about how bad we, we there, I think there, they there do. needs to be a national reckoning do. on American Beauty. I think that's what I talked to the same six people for my entire life. But I feel like that's where people are at, right? How, the Ber- the Bergman's listeners, the Bergman's listeners. That movie's still showing up in Oscar montages. You know, the the, that the ro- rose petals falling down on Mina Suvari. But but, but I'm saying, still, to I'm the saying Berg- we need a bigger, wider heads? reckoning on American Beauty. I don't know, if, uh, folks. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'd love to hear American Beauty love. You're about to hear. I have thirty minutes I have of a American very, Beauty very big, dislike. Look, yeah. Joe. I have a very big caveat. This is this is what will add some suspense to the proceedings. Uh, because we love a SmackDown, we love a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I want to also have some suspense. I do have one very big caveat on not liking American Beauty. One big thing about it that I fucking absolutely love, and it is going to, it has led me to make, I'm going to make a hot take. I'm going to make a hot take on this episode. I have a very hot take, a piping hot take, to quote, uh, our friends Alaska and Willem over at Race Chaser, Mm -hmm. piping steaming hot take, Mm -hmm. um, that I will get to later. So there is one thing about American Beauty, and it's you know what? I, I like I like it so much. I was I had to go back and forth a little bit because of this one aspect of American Beauty that I like so much. 
Uh, so we, we will get to that later. But before we do, before we get into... I'm waiting on bated breath. National Treasure versus American I, I, Beauty. I've, I've, okay. let's, play a, let's play a quick segment. Yeah, I a, love a, a game, yeah, if you will. We don't do games, folks. We do segments. And no, then we talk this about is a game, we, we, baby. We play games, but then we talk about the films. I, can't, I love the games. I am so on board for the games. And, folks, you know I really... because really you uh, mocked them oh, in, in the presence of our Grow guests. Grow up. Are you kidding me? Grow up. Grow up, America. Grow up. Grow up, America. Uh, no, but I love the games. What is the game this week? I am very excited. So we all know, you know what America is about. America is about individuality, pulling yourself it's up the from, your, pot. from your bootstraps. It's about making a go of it. DIY culture, baby. What does that sound like? Punk rock? This game is called <laughs> America is Punk AF. Oh, uh, cool. All right. What I'm going to do, Joe, is I'm going to uh, yell out the names of some uh, celebrities, some actors, some film personalities, and I want you to tell me, are they A, descended from somebody who came over on the Mayflower, or B, did they go to Harvard, or C, both? <laughs> and these are all factual? or this? Yes, this oh, is absolutely okay. true. All right, all right. Harvard or the Mayflower? Both. Here we go. Clint Eastwood. Mayflower. He is descended, correct. He is descended from William Bradford, the governor of Plymouth Colony. You're fucking me. Straight line from William Bradford to Clint Eastwood. The man with no name? I think your name rhymes with Bradford. (laughs) Jonathan Taylor Thomas, that hunky little boy from Home Improvement. Both. Incorrect. Uh. Jonathan Taylor Thomas went to Harvard. Yeah. And God bless. But he was from the. But he was not. The uh, the, he cannot track him. He cannot track his the descent to the Mayflower. Number three, I think you might know the answer to this one. Matt Damon. Harvard baby. Incorrect. Both? He both went to Harvard and is descended from Mayflower. Uh, a person on the Mayflower named Richard Warren. Richard Warren. You even know the names of the guy. Richard the Warren. Mayflower. All right. Wow. Next up. I can't stand this song. What, what? That was the the. Oh, there we go. John Cena, John Cena, Mayflower, John Cena, correct. John Cena is descended from Edward Winslow, Susanna Jackson, and Richard Fucking Warren. The same what? guy that Matt Damon is descended from. How does he from? have three descendants? Oh, they just oh families. Okay, sorry. Families, go, ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. All right. Last but not least, you know him. You love him. He's punk as fuck. Richard Gear. Boom! No! Richard Gere is did not go to Harvard, but he is descended from, let's count him out, Francis Cook, George Soule, Samuel Fuller, Francis Eaton and his wife Sarah, Francis Billington, John Billington and his wife Eleanor, Degory Priest, Stephen Hopkins, Elizabeth Fisher, Jacob Cook, Francis Cook, William Brewster and his wife Mary, and guess who? William Bradford Richard fucking Warren (laughs) Matt Damon John Cena Richard Gere all descended from the same Mayflower uh, uh, colony colonist Richard Warren that is punk as fuck Richard Warren was a London merchant came over on the Mayflower uh, was one of the signers of the Mayflower compact Uh, was not really a notable person he died well uh, that's what you think 
He was the. You know who came from him? In and of himself. Richard oh, this is my Gere. point. Yeah. Okay. This is my yeah. point. In and of himself. Uh-huh. Uh There's really no record of him doing much well, uh, in Plymouth Colony. How's that seed? Uh, died in uh, 1628, they think. Uh, and this, uh, we have this notation in the 16, 1669 book, New England's Memorial. Uh, this year, 1628, died Mr. Richard Warren, who was a useful instrument and during his lifetime uh, bared a deep share of the difficulties and troubles of the first settlement of the plantation of New Plymouth. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Richard Warren. Wow. Uh, Great game. Uh, also, speaking of Richard Gere, uh, before we get to the movies, uh, let's let's not forget every time Richard let's Gere comes up. Let's not forget his performance in Chicago. Well, this is uh, when he uh, won the Golden Globe for Chicago uh, for Chicago at the two thousand three Golden Globes. Razzle. He had something very interesting to say at the end of his Uh-oh. speech. Uh, How interesting! Which uh, let's just not forget. Um, Did he razzle dazzle him? Well, just take a listen. Where is it? Oh, there it is. All right, so this is Richard Gere at the end of his acceptance speech in 2003, and he's fucking high on life, baby. He's winning mm. for Chicago. Mm. He says, you know what? Let me take a little chance mm. here. Let me risk it. Mm. Oh, Every day no. producing this movie, man. No. Serious stuff. Um, uh, there's a guy I'd like to really thank here that, that uh, people who is don't it, Richard? thank enough, but th- there's a kindly, wonderful, gentle man. That sounds great. Harvey Weinstein. Uh, that we all deeply love. This is the Harvey Weinstein. Uh, sounds amazing. His name is Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> wow, Richard. You should yeah. have. Cut to Harvey looking very bashful. Next to him. Who's he got? Who's at the table? Couldn't tell. Uh, it's the Chicago, Chicago, crew. It's Chicago crew. Yeah. Okay. And we do love you. But wait for it. There's another one. This is there's a good another man. People don't know that, but he's done a lot of Louis. good things in life. They'll write an article about that someday, too. New Yorker. That was after the New Yorker published that initial expose on Weinstein's uh, alleged behavior. Um, and Richard Gere not only not Richard. only decided to shout out Harvey, Harvey Weinstein, decided to say uh, "fuck you" to not the Richard. to the press for exposing Weinstein. Give him the old uh, criminal razzle dazzle. Was he on Epstein Island? Richard Gere really gave Seriously. me the old razzle dazzle. Was he on Epstein Island? Good question. Let's I bet he see was. what Google says. Richard I'm also going to see who beat Epstein him Island. for best supporting actor in 2003. Because I want to recount. I don't have Richard Gere uh, anywhere near Epstein Island. Search, <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, courtesy of Google. Uh, it's so funny to just pr- go, uh-huh, about like somebody and say the worst thing you could ever think about Wait, hold somebody. on, hold on. Uh-huh. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, somebody's right. Got, wait, hold on. Somebody's, no, somebody's, got some, somebody's got something here. I might, I might have a lead. He was I might there. have a lead. Best Supporting Actor 2003. Uh, beating Richard Gere in the 2003 Academy Awards. Brett, it was our friend... Who we'll talk about today. Uh, talk about today. Uh, Chris Cooper. Oh, Chris Cooper for uh, Adaptation? That's correct. Yeah. Well, let's make sure that was the right year, because you know how to th- the Oscars no, are I know, always I know, like... No, I know, I know, I know, I know, If you look it up on Wikipedia, Wikipedia will helpfully say, do you mean uh, the awards ceremony that took place in this year, Fuck or the that. awards for, for this year? Give them the old razzle. I got nothing here. I got nothing here. We're we're gonna say Gear was on Epstein Island. We're gonna say Gear was on Epstein Island at some point. Get sued. Our company taken away from us. Uh, Big deal. Hi everybody. Tim Heidecker here. We have a brand new office hours that just came out of the oven. We've got legendary psych rocker Ty Siegel, and Doug is back from down under. Good day. Good day. And his mommy came with him. 
Mommy and Gary Lusenhop are here too. Alicia let me know that she finished the White Album, has thoughts on that. So much more on this legendary episode of Office Hours. Find us on your podcast app of choice or watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash office hours live. So who are the animals? Because I don't smell them. I was very excited to sit down and watch these two films. Sorry, I, I don't mean to move ahead. Are, are we talking about the movies right now? I got nothing else but the movies, oh, okay, baby. Beautiful. Let's do it. I was very excited to sit down and watch these two movies. I was very excited yes. to watch National Treasure again because it's a film that throughout my life I've always found to be fun to throw on. And you and I have enjoyed same, this same, film same. together. I've had a lot of fun with it. I, I've never thrown it on and not been like, LOL, this movie's great. I've also never thrown it on to watch it in this context with a little yeah, bit of a critical, a, a critical lens, um, which was an interesting watch. Usually um, it's like me and you, maybe our friend Alex, maybe it's one o'clock in the morning, maybe we're eating Jack in the Box, right. maybe yes. we're laying on yes. the floor. No stakes, uh, no stakes. Zero stakes, no we've stakes. always enjoyed it. What's it like to sit there stone cold sober on a Tuesday morning and watch the entirety of National Treasure as a critical and evaluation? Take notes. Literally take and, and, and notes. Literally take notes on it. What's that like? Really good and fun, and we'll get to why and uh, all that stuff. And you might want to hear, uh, um, you, you might be hearing uh, uh, some crinkling in my mic. I, I want to say that uh, mm. we are in costume, as you. always. Yeah. Um, you can see that on Forever Dog Plus. Sign up at foreverdog.plus to get video episodes and see us in costume. Um, I am dressed as the uh, paper bag from American Beauty. Mm -hmm. uh, the most, uh, to quote uh, the West Bent Bentley character, the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful thing that has ever happened. Such a stupid uh, line. Is my such uh, a dumb is the uh, uh, little plastic bag concept. floating around? An amazing on the costume, street. though. Very funny. I think Thank you should you. go that as that at Halloween. Yeah. And when people say, "What are you?" You say, "I'm the plastic bag from, American, plastic bag Beauty. from American Beauty." I today I am dressed. You look great. Thank you, you look so great. much. You know, Stunning. I actually really struggled because National Treasure has maybe the worst costuming of any film of all time. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. No, I, I like, because I had to watch the movie and I'm waiting for there to be a good costume. They just like, every character shops at Land's End or REI. Now that you're saying and it. And they buy like yeah. the, the dad's hiking essentials collection. Yes. So in the first scene of National Treasure, they're, they're in an Arctic adventure. So inspired by that, I've slicked my hair back. I've thrown on uh, a, a, a red winter coat and I've, uh, I'm, I'm giving my best Nick Cage today folks. You look stunning. Thank you, you very much stunning. as do you. Uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and kick it off with National Treasure. National Treasure came out in 2004 released by Walt Disney Pictures. It was written by Jim Koof and the Wibberleys. That's Cormac and Marianne. Produced by Jerry <laughs> oh. Bruckheimer and directed by John Turtletaub. Yeah. Stars Nicolas Cage, Harvey Keitel. How excited were you when, Car when Keitel came in the picture? I'm never not excited when Harvey oh my Keitel gosh. comes on when the Keitel, picture. When Keitel comes in, he's like, the cop who's got who's to gotta solve he's the thing. And then he turns out to be a Mason. What a character. John Voight, Diane Kruger, Sean Bean. God bless Sean Bean. Uh, Justin Bartha uh, and Christopher Plummer. Uh, was shot for a budget of $100 million. Uh, They put some money behind this. They said, we believe in National Treasure, and they were right, because oh, the yeah, box office so was right. $347.5 The same as American Beauty. That's it? We're going to get to that. It only made yes. $347 million? On a budget of $100 million, though, that's a nice profit. It's wonderful. I guess in my it head, wasn't like in it my wasn't head this a... is like a big hit. Okay. I mean, keep in mind this is this is pre. I think our expectations have changed so much in the in the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah, era. Right. Um, that that was a nice chunk of change. No, it's that was beautiful. Nice I guess in my head, I just feel like National Treasure is. Pirates there used of the to Caribbean. just be so many 
watchable movies. Mm. I, I I would say I have so many good movies, but just so many watchable. There just used to be so many options yeah. when you're going to the movies. So right. I think it was mu- it was much harder uh, to to get one of those like yeah, because now it's just what you know these Marvel movies making eight hundred nine hundred million yeah. like that. I mean, it didn't used to be like that. Three forty seven is a nice. I didn't mean nice to change. It. To I just out. in my head this movie landed like a like a a, a, a bomb at the box. Yeah, or well, that a, says a, a lot. Of, it says a lot about office. you. It says more about you than it does no, it about the says, movie. No, I just think that this movie landed. I just I, I love that about you. Huge. I love that you thought National Treasure was fucking Avatar. That's I did. Really, that's I did. really sweet. I really did because they made a sequel. They made a TV show. They're gonna make a third one. I just thought this was the gift that keeps on giving for the good folks over at the Walt Disney Corporation. Now and, you have yeah. revealed. Well, they only got, we only got one sequel. Waiting on that third sequel. I would Disney. love a third one. Waiting on that third sequel. I think we need a third one. Do Jan six. Do Q. Yeah, I think. Do you. Jan six. Do Q. Do Q. Do Q. Do Q. Do Q. I mean, this movie is Q. It is this movie. Q. This movie it is basically is, Q. This is the origin story of uh, Q and, and the Tea Party and Trump and the Tea Party <laughs> and, uh, and Iraq Sixth. and everything. This is the this this movie pre-Trump, folks. Conspiracy theories were. We got to call up that fun. commission. We got to call up that commission and say the Jan where, Six trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And say, look, I know you, you got to talk really to Rudy. Get... I know you got to talk to Barr, whatever. You gotta talk to the fucking Wibberleys and yeah, Turtle Tob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta call. You gotta call. It the all good started folks. with National Treasure. You gotta call the good folks over. At National uh, so Treasure. speaking of that, you gave you gave away you know kind of our history here that we have been fans of this movie for a while. Ah. It's just big, dumb fun, and it's so great. Um, and Nicolas Cage just kills it in this movie. Um, I think Diane Kruger is very underrated. Would love to see her in more stuff. She's, of course, great in Glorious Bastards. Harvey Keitel is so much fun. Justin Barth is doing his thing. Sean Bean's doing his thing. John Voight's in it. <laughs> John, yeah, no, but honestly, like, you have to have Voight. As the skeptic, very funny. He's the yes, skeptic right, of right, the Gates right, family. Right. Um, and maybe, you know, before we go farther, why don't yes, I go please, ahead and please. lay down? Oh, my God. How about. could I dare? How could I forget? If we ever needed it, we need it right now. A 60, one of our classic 60 second reviews starting now. Please review this movie in 60 seconds or less. Go. Nicholas Cage comes from a long line of American treasure hunters. His great, 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 yes, great, great does. grandfather, little, little man Gates, was. He was a, a chariot man. He he rode a horse cart for one of you know Ben the Franklin. What are you talking about? Keep he, going. You know he. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> All right. So the ga- there's a secret passed down that there's a treasure from the Knights Templar. They have a big treasure yeah. costs a bajillion dollars and it's hidden somewhere. And you have to follow all of the clues throughout American history and American iconography to find where the treasure is located. The eye on the pyramid. Nobody in the family's been able to do it so much so that John Voight gave up. But his son. Ben Gates, who I like to call Benjamin Franklin Gates, by Nicholas he, Cage. Takes, he, he will not take no for an answer. He searches the whole world, Antarctica at all, to steal the Declaration of Independence and find the buried treasure, folks. And that's what he does. And that is 60 seconds of wow. National Treasure. Now, usually I, I can fill more time, but really this plot is very straightforward. It's pretty simple when it all comes down to it. Is very simple. It's a treasure hunt. It's a treasure hunt movie. And it's just clue to clue to clue. And it brings him through essentially three or four set pieces that are popular iconography in American history. So essentially, he's in Antarctica. Do you mind if I kind of break this down? No, please. All the clues. He's in Antarctica. Break down the clues. Him and Sean Bean are in Antarctica. Sean Bean looking fantastic. He looks so good. Svelte. Mm. Sean Bean and he are in Antarctica. And there was a Christopher Plummer, his grandfather, told him a little secret. 
he said, it's in Charlotte or something. Yes. That's like and the a classic, a classic Christopher Plummer uh, 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 role where he's like, you get one day. You get one day. <laughs> you get day. 45 minutes and we're doing it in two or three days. Like, we're going to get three <laughs> setups. We're getting a wide, a medium, and a close. I'm going to bang out this scene. You're going to pay me a fucking fortune. How much? All right, tell them they can have a day. Million. They can have a day with Plummer. 45 minutes. And he's like, I'll bring the enchantment. You give me the six I lines. I was in goddamn the sound of music. Dollars. They get a day. And so, tell him to double it. So Plummer gets his coin, and he tells his grandson, it's in Charlotte or something. Yes. And that we learn. Then the next thing we know, cut to Nicolas Cage. The little boy's all grown up. And he's in Antarctica with Sean Bean. He's a treasure hunter, and he... Through some cockamamie scientific this and that, he finds a boat frozen under the water. Very and he cool. Goes Very cool. Down piece. in there. Yeah. Very like Disney. The, the, yes. the movie's so Disney, yes. which is it's it's like you're waiting in line at Disney World the entire movie. Yes. You know how those lines are fun and decorated funly. It's it's, it's just that. that for two and a the half. Set hours. design is great. Everything looks. Fun. Goes down into the boat in the gunpowder. He finds a pipe. I'm just going to describe yeah, it. You, 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 you had 60 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I need 60, we're at, we're, we're, 60 minutes. You're getting every beat of National Treasure. We're supposed to be he analyzing finds... the movie. This is... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the people need to know. All right, go ahead. So the pipe. So people then he need finds to know. the pipe. He finds an old pipe with a bunch of colonial semen on it. And he bleeds on the pipe's stem. And <laughs> then he rolls out the words from the blood on a piece of paper and it says you yep. gotta steal the declaration of independence oh, it doesn't say that but he figures it Hold out on, so let's, wa- let's watch that okay, let's right, watch right, that let's watch that okay all right god damn it, damn it. No, right, i me, feel like i feel it. like the audience is on the edge of their seats uh, i just said that then he's got to go steal the declaration of independence brother all right we're gonna watch we're gonna watch that bar one second but then why not say a pen why why say iron pen yeah good question this is a prison Women, iron pen. The iron does not describe the ink in the pen. It describes what was penned. It was iron. Mm-hmm. It was firm. He's it figuring was it out. No, He's no, putting no, it no. all together. It was. It was firm. It was adamant. It was resolved. I don't think this is scripted. <laughs> resolved. He's wrong. Mr. Matlack can't offend. Uh, Timothy the Matlack script just says Nicholas Cage yeah, yeah, gets yeah. from point A to point B. <laughs> Figure out Figure how this connects. Sure, he could not offend the map. It was put on the back of a resolution that he transcribed. The resolution. A resolution? He figures it out. Nick Cage is nobody live solving better than Nicholas. He's method. Cage. He's method here. He's live solving the the mystery of national treasure. It's not. It's not written down. Nicholas is a genius oh, of syllables. Yeah. He just. Oh. Come on, there's no uh, invisible map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. Wrong! There is! A document of that importance would ensure the map's survival. And you said there were several Masons signed it, yeah? Yeah? Yeah, several Masons signed Not it, yeah? Sure. We'll have to arrange a way to examine it. <clears throat> this is one of the most important documents in history. They're not just going to let us... Waltz in there and run it's, chemical it's tests. Good, it's just a funny plot. It's just a good plot. Know. It's a great plot. It's just they, they set Nicholas up. Nicholas Cage no, steals the Declaration of Independence. They set up a funny good it's just plot, that. and then they just do that. Yeah, it's just that. Yeah, they steal it and then they run around with it. It's <laughs> and like they, the they abuse the shit for, out of for it for an hour. Yes, they that are, thing is they they falling all over. It, they yeah. drop it out of cars. They drop it out of planes. They step on it. They crinkle it. They grab it. However. 
Yeah. Watching it for this podcast, what, being honest, watching it with fresh eyes, etc. This movie is is I, I've 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 never seen a movie that that is more that is that is like more effortlessly propaganda for American imperialism. It is it is the the like the politics, the the plot, and the performances, and just the feel of watching this movie is so much fun. The underlying political messages, which were which were wildly unnecessary, are are are. But it's a also disaster. it's also the whole it, no, no are it, a yeah. disaster. Well, they it, are explain, so. Okay. Tell our audience what you so, saw. First of all, early on, they're explaining you know uh, how there got to be a treasure map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. The treasure was uh, taken from it's uh, it's all this ancient treasure that had been accumulated through through centuries of of you know war and Stealing, imperialism right. and theft, uh, and it eventually had ended up under the Temple of Solomon in Jerusalem, and then the Knights Templar found it during the Crusades. Um, and so while they're narrating the story about it, where the treasure came from uh, and how it got to be there, they warmly say words like Andrew Jackson and the Knights Templar and the Freemasons and Thomas Edison, as though these, you know, the great men of history voice is, is sort of washing over you as you get this narration. Um, and then... Later, and what we're told is that, you know, no, um, you know, this treasure was, the reason why it was hidden was because it was too great for any one man to have. That, it has so, to be democratically spread out. It has to be democratically spread, spread out. out. But they didn't you trust. You have to share the wealth. They didn't but, trust that it, that it could be done, that you know, mm. in that era, that it wouldn't just be stolen by one person. So instead, they just consolidated <laughs> it in America <laughs> under a church and in cre- New York. And created an elaborate game. And created an elaborate game The most democratic it, thing right? you could possibly do, create an elaborate game. And so. The message of the movie is that, like, because what what goes the the movie is is like very like critical of of corruption and greed and things like that. But it just takes for granted that like America and whatever like true Americans like like Benjamin Franklin Gates, they're allowed to be the caretakers. They are the rightful caretakers of this ancient treasure that came from all different places all over the world. That goes without any without any like. That's just accepted. It is just the default position of this movie that that like that these uh, stolen art treasures uh, that 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 he is the rightful uh, uh, sort of caretaker of them. Uh, Sean Bean can't have them because he's greedy. We were literally like bombing the Library of Baghdad when this movie came yes, out. Yes, like of correct. course that's what happened. Yes, right. Yeah. And at the very end of the movie, one of my favorite lines at the end of the movie when they found the treasure, they get to the bottom of the church in in um, New York. Uh, is it St. Patrick's Cathedral or what is it? It's a uh, you know it's the one on Wall Street at the end. Hope Christ Church, whatever is at that's the right, at, down the, by Wall at the end that's of right. Wall Street. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so they get they, they go under these underground tunnels and it's so much fun. And they're going on like weird old elevators and staircases and this and that. And everything has symbolic importance. It's very Indiana Jones. It's a lot of fun. Um, they find the treasure. Um, there's documents from the Library of Alexandria. There's old Egyptian statues. There's this and that. Very cool stuff. Right. And then at the very end, you know, um, uh, Nicholas Cage and Harvey Keitel are talking about like, you know, who gets like who's going to get all this treasure and this and that and who gets the money. Nicholas Cage is like. You know this treasure, it belongs to the to the people. It belongs to, to all the people, not any one person. It belongs to the people. And he's like, we're gonna send uh, a third of it to the Smithsonian. We're gonna send a third of it to the Louvre, and then we're gonna send a third of it to I don't fucking know the museum, the Cairo right, right, Museum, right? right, right. right. <laughs> or is it the Mar-a-Lago? Yeah, so, yeah. Put yeah, it yeah, put yeah. it right. Yeah, the, the you know. 
And this is like this is the history of museums. This is the Elgin marbles in England that it's were like just f- stolen from Greece, right? And day. like so on and so forth. To this day, they're still there. Um, but it's insane to see the movie so effortlessly and unquestionably. Like the movie doesn't even didn't even like think about that. It just is like it, it is so uh, uh, sure that like true page like true Americans, true patriots are the rightful caretakers of the world's possessions and the rightful distributors of those possessions. Uh, and there is nothing democratic mm, about nah. this movie or 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 for the people about this movie. Um, there's no thought about like, well, let's let's like document where all these artifacts originally came from and then return them to their uh, countries uh, and ethnicities of origin. No, of course they're not. going half to the Louvre. They're going half to the Smithsonian. And of course that would happen in real life. But it's very funny in a movie that is like willingly no. I mean, of such course liberties. not in this movie. This is a 2004. PG action adventure from the Walt Disney Corporation. Iraq War era. That is a good point. Like, this is coming after 9-11 just happened. Yes. Disney probably put it in the IP. Here's two things that happened. 9-11 and the Da Vinci Code. They were (laughs) huge. Not the book. The movie doesn't come out for a couple years. Two things happened. Two things happened. 9-11 and the Da Vinci Code. 9-11 and the Da (laughs) Vinci. Two things happened. 9-11 and the Da Vinci Code. Um, they said, hey, we need Da Vinci Code, but we need to take away sort of all the controversial elements. And Brett has brought up some excellent controversial elements, of course. But imagine you're, you put your brain on 2003 Walt Disney executive mode for yes. a second. 9-11 just happened. Patriotism is through the roof. We're, we're going into Iraq. Everybody loves the Founding Fathers. Everyone loves. Everyone's so high on the Founding Fathers. Everyone's so. Patriotism. We don't even know about Abu Ghraib yet. We like, this that's, is that's very good like point. this is like primo yes American time right yes. post nine eleven pre Abu Ghraib uh, time and the Da Vinci Code I don't know about y'all imperialist but America where I was back. from Da Vinci Code like lit up the world do you remember no no, no Da Vinci no. Code was y'all okay, forget y'all here's forget what, no when Da Vinci the Code book came was out, a phenomenon the book was a phenomenon the book like saved books like it was yes. the biggest book yes. ever yeah. and people were having tons of legitimate conversations about the whole thing with the vinci code when it came out was is this real yes is this actually real it inspired a whole bunch of interest in the knights templar as if as some sort of pre-masonic american yes. uh, vision the mcguffin uh the mcguffin yes. is uh mary magdalene and jesus had a child and then so there is a jesus essentially had a heir he had jesus had ancestors and one of them's or or the knights templar discovers that or he's whatever but the knights templar is part of that whole yes. mythology and then uh conspiracies and was Jesus married to Mary Magdalene? Right. And did they have a baby? And who was that? That really and in- like un- an underrated part of the Vinci Code is 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 its argument that there was this entire uh, feminist wing of early Christianity that got that got uh, um, snuffed out and 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 selectively cut out of Christian uh, ideology by the you know early Catholic Church and those like you know the 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 different councils and the Nicene Creed and all that when they were kind of figuring yes. out what Christianity was, they conveniently cut out this whole sort of feminist wing of it that was that was represented by Mary Magdalene. Which Dan Brown reminds us what I'm saying is effectively <laughs> Dan Brown, an American patriot, yeah. a true progressive. And he Dan reminds Brown us is about punk as fuck. Christian feminine Christian feminism. And this 
was a perfect concoction of yeah. American bugaboos, yes. and it exploded in the popular conscience. Yes, and it became uh, uh, controversial, and everybody had to have a copy, and it sold a billion, and churches banned it, and shit like that. It was nuts. So Disney was like wh- somebody, somebody at work. What's nuts right now? Yes, symbology. Symbology. <laughs> no, because this yes. Nicholas Ben Gates is. What's Tom Hanks's character? Oh, Robert Langdon. Robert Langdon. Gates is symbologist Gates at Harvard. Gates is Langdon. It's not a thing. It's called He's semiotics. literally Langdon. He literally even has the slick back hair yeah. and the wardrobe of Langdon. And the, it was the perfect thing. Like, we don't have any IP, but America is so hot right now. America, the original yeah. IP. This is perfect. Yes. Let's do a Da Vinci Code with America, and we'll just do a good old-fashioned Disney adventure film. And we'll hit the beats, and we'll have ups and downs, and they'll fall in love, and we'll get Sean Bean, and it will be, a, it, and we'll make it look like a ride. Scorsese's worst nightmare. Anyway, they accomplished that. And they do it. I can see it now. I can see the elevator pitch. I can and see the meeting was like, at Disney. Yeah, yeah. And, da and, Vinci Code meets fa- America. America. Da Vinci Code meets America. Founding meets fathers. PG meets Disney. And everyone's like, that's Nicholas so Cage good. is interested. That's so fucking Justin good. Barth is interested. Yes, yes. Anyway, that's where this movie sort of came from. And that's sort of where uh, that's the energies that are. In this movie, that's what I see creatively happening here when I watch the movie. So, Brett, when you bring up all these excellent points about this movie's so fucking funny because it's so uh, dumb, it with truly it, with is the, the way return it of. I, but I, I like your yeah. historicizing of it, putting in context because this movie really is a. Because I don't think the movie is like intentionally doing any of that. To me, all the no, me- all the this, messaging I'm highlighting is coming in very subconsciously, and like it's it's like. That's what's so stunning about it is how just sort of much it's accepted as like the the that's just the way thing yeah of it's, course it's, this is the way things are and the way they should be in the audience. the rightful uh, order of things um, but it does make sense in that you know that you know because early days of the Iraq War there was very much like an, an American interventionism is back baby and the world needs it and the world needs America to get in there and fix this shit world, world, Amer- America World Police yes America Team America, Team America world, world Police that was the whole thing this was the thing so this was 2004 right yes I mean that's what is going on right now that does that forgive the movie's proclivities and zero percent and did plenty of people know it was bad then yeah but this movie was for a broad American audience in 2004. So you're going to get hilariously ahistorical everything. And it's going to feel strangely patriotic. Does that forgive it or make it good? No, not at all. But that's sort of uh, where it's coming from. So, you know, if you can stomach that, then you're going to get a really nice PG action adventure with lots of, like, fun, cute, moments it's a it's a fun ride it's a dumb ride but the ride is well built it, here's what i want to get here's what i want to get to it's a theme park attraction to, to analysis it's a with it, a psychotic it's, endorsement of american imperialism and the theft of world treasures and it's done very well and structurally it's as fun as can be it hits the right high notes back into here's another thing about 2004 i um rampant cruel misogyny Incredibly on the table for comedy. Oh, like hundred percent. Like, we saw like, it in uh, uh, she's out. She's out of your league. Yeah, uh, yeah. This movie. Yeah. The the way that Nicolas Cage treats his love interest 
is so condescending, worse than condescending. Yeah. He tells her to shut up. He tells her, she says one thing, he's like, she won't stop talking. And that is the joke the entire time. She, of course, falls in love with him. Yes. They get married and, and they live in a big house together. And she thinks he's a genius. This is 2004. This is like a Robert Langdon. And we, Brett and I, we love the Robert Langdon movies. For the same reason, shut up, shut up, shut up. For the same reason we love National Treasure movies. No, I like One Car, I like one car Way. I like uh, John, yeah, John yeah. Dillman. The reason that Brett and I's favorite movies are National Treasure movies. I like and, it all, baby. In Da Vinci Code movies, is that like Angels this guy, this buffoonish character, this know-it-all loser who's gonna put all this? This is such a funny superhero. He's gonna put all the pieces of American iconography together and solve a big puzzle, and they're gonna find out who Jesus Christ kid was, or that there's something, an invisible treasure map on the back of the American uh, Declaration of Independence, and there's a big treasure under Wall Street. Honey, that shit's fucking fun. <laughs> honey, all right, honey, all right, all honey, right, all right. That's fucking funny. Very weird. Uh, is it bad? It's very yes. funny. Is it's it, a very it, the funny movies movie. are great. Yeah. Do you guys just watch everything because it aligns with your political and historical sensibilities and mindset? If you did that, you guess what you'd watch? You'd watch fucking paint dry on the wall. So here's the world we're stuck in, and sometimes you're with like your little cousin, and you're down the shore, and you both got to watch something together, and you know he's gonna like nod off, but he's gonna get halfway through, and you got to throw something on. You'd be so lucky if he wants to toss on National Treasure, and, and he very well might. Because it's fun as heck. Have fun, and then use it as an opportunity to talk to your young cousin about the 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 history of of imperialism in this world and the theft of of world treasures. Uh, by uh, primarily Western Europe and America, uh, how many of those world treasures are still in uh, museums that are not associated with their country or ethnicity of origin. Use it. You can have fun and you can have a learning opportunity. That's what this movie provides. And it just kicks you in the balls. Let's watch one more scene before we move on to, um, and look, it ain't, it ain't, American Beauty, We're gonna, you, you, want, you want to really talk about some shit, we will do that shortly here. Um, well, let's watch one scene uh, of Nicolas Cage uh, uh, early on with Diane Kruger with his love interest <laughs> at a at a sort of gala at the Declaration of Independence. Uh, where the uh, where the fuck is the Declaration of Independence? It's in, it's Washington, in Philadelphia. DC. Yep. It's not. It's in I'm Washington D.C. It's Washington D.C. You're right. It's 100 Washington D.C. You're right. It's in some place in Washington D.C. Uh, they uh, this is when he steals it, but he's also at this like cocktail party, and he's gonna take the opportunity to like talk about. You know, he can't stop talking. This guy, any opportunity he gets, he wants to talk about all his shit. Thank you uh, so much for playing this. Of part. course. Well, on that subject, thank you for your wonderful gift. Oh, you did get it. Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Thank you. He got her uh, one of George Washington's like old campaign buttons. Such a thoughtful gift. Really Too thoughtful. Was. Very creepy. Well, you needed it. Come on, Romeo, get out of there. I have been wondering though. He's, he's got a little spy. Bartha's on the headset yeah, because Bartha's hacking into the he's, system. He's, he's in the van hacking into the system. Love that. Here you go. Okay, so right, here, here comes, comes a creep who always stares at Diane Kruger's ass at work. Hi. Hi there. Oh, they're not stiff. They're, they're, they're not dating. I missed that. Sorry, sorry. That. Look at how Nick Cage treats this guy. What he says, it's so funny. A toast, yeah? To high treason. That's what these men were committing when they signed the declaration. Okay, cute. Had we lost the war, they would have been hanged. Oh. Beheaded, drawn and quartered. It, oh, oh, my personal favorite. <laughs> Had their entrails cut out and burned. <laughs> nice little Nick Cage uh, line read there at the so, end. So, here's to the men who did what was considered wrong in order to do what they knew was right. You imagine saying truly, this to someone at a party? Truly? Just 
what Benjamin Franklin Gates is saying as he is storming the Capitol in National Treasure 3. Um, Go ahead and tell us why Benjamin Franklin Gates would definitely have been at January 6th, Joe. This movie is a prequel. This movie is the first one in a trilogy, I believe, um, about the Benjamin Gates' radicalization, essentially, from mild-mannered patriotic treasure hunter all the way to um, evil proud boy overlord in the third one, which I really hope we can see. Um, uh, hope we can see it soon. So what I miss? Oh, sorry. So I was. Um, so yeah, in this rambling speech, um, you know, Benjamin Franklin Gates is obviously setting up the third film, in which he uh, joins the maybe. Maybe in the first scene, he's just doing the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, and that's sort of the first clues under the Thomas Jefferson statue at, uh, you know, on Monticello. That's where the first clue is. And he just sort of goes through a series of uh, Proud Boy, and it sort of culminates um, at, at the Capitol building. And he's like, we got to break into the Capitol building. It's like, how are you going to do it? And he's like, okay, good news. My buddies are already breaking in tonight. Got to get the... Uh, the uh, we got to get the... It's, it's inside the... data the, from the Dominion yeah, yeah. voting it's, machines. It's in Mike Pence's neck. You got to count the rings. You gotta count the rings of his neck after I slice his. I mean, what is head what off. is Mike Lindell if not a, a real life counterpart to uh, Benjamin Franklin stop Gates? The st- stop the steal. My pillow is Mike that, Lindell, always trying to get to the bottom of things. Mm-hmm. It's in the numbers. It's in the codes. Everything's secret. It's in the it's behind the scenes. It's under the surface. Lindell's a madman. Um, I've watched his entire. I watched his entire Stop the Steal documentary. And if you're wondering, no, I didn't have to pay for it. Relax. It was, but why? Why'd you, why'd you watch that? I don't know, because these people are crazy, and sometimes you gotta kind of like check in with them and see, like, what do these motherfuckers think? Jesus Christ, it's worse. It's worse than you can imagine. Like, you know how bad it is. What they think for real is worse. This is the thought pattern. This is this. Um, you know, early two thousands conspiratorial mindset. I mean, this really is. You switch it. Well, what movie were you saying this about? Uh. Uh oh, maybe like Pi, maybe or something. We were saying this before. We were talking about conspiracies, with but this Matrix like this like late Pi. '90s, early 2000s sort of like uh, obsession with conspiracies and what the truth is behind the scenes. It seemed so fun and cool at the time. And Man Alive has the has, has the far right really turned that whole they game on it. its head. They really ruined it. Um, but it is the same mentality. These characters in our present reality are the 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 Mike Lindells. Uh, <laughs> like Tucker Carlson, the, the fucking the scroungers and the and the yeah. and the dreamers. No, these people are fucking psychopaths. They co-opt but, but everything. They, they, ben uh, Gates is the. Why did you have to take conspiracy theories from us? It's all. I don't it's know. all. That, it's all that you know. People of a certain age. It's all we had. It's all we had. It was our culture. Well, was listen, conspiracy. I theories. know you and the good folks over at Double Threat. You guys love a good Zodiac conspiracy. Oh, and love as it. you know, me and you, me and you, and many of our buddies, we love a good JFK conspiracy theory. Oh yeah. So there are still some. Who fun, did it? There are still some fun ones, but this movie was from a different time when conspiracy theories were kind of fun. You know, John Birch was kind of in the rear view, and we had just had a couple fun conspiracies as like a group of folks. And now conspiracies are uh, are are loaded and real. It was a brief respite between the now they're John real. Birch era and the 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 Tea Party alt right era. It was just uh, like aliens. Yes, where you, know? you could sort of enjoy conspiracy theories. There's a map on the back of the Declaration Without of Independence. Menace. But if you were paying attention to this movie at the time, which I was not, in retrospect, uh, there's a fair amount of menace underlying this movie. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Let's move on to American Beauty. Came out in 1999. Oh, what an event this was. Oh, it won the Oscar for Best Picture. Kevin Spacey won Best it, Actor. Sam Mendes won Best Director. No. I believe so. It was that. It was that. I knew it won Best Picture. It also won it, Best Director. It racked up a Wait, lot Kevin of Wait, Kevin Spacey wins. won Best Actor? Did you just say that? Yeah, Kevin Spacey definitely won. Uh, here's, what, here's what it won. It won. Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Original Screenplay. Uh, oh, wait, no. This is what it was nominated for. Hold on. Let me get the wins. Let me get the wins. Let me get the wins. Let me get the I'm wins. about to have a heart attack. No, hold on. Hold on. Here we go. Here we go. Best Picture won. Best Director won. Best Actor won. Best Actress nominated. We'll get to that. Best Original Screenplay won. Best Cinematography won. Best Film Editing nominated. Best Original Score nominated. This, this movie, the score was bad. This movie, a lot was, of it's bad, but the score specifically is bad. Was a phenomenon when it came out. This was the movie of the year. Everyone's talking about it. Kevin Spacey was at the top of the world. Oh my God. American Beauty, budget fifteen million, box office three hundred and fifty-six million. That is wild. Uh, it's doing those national treasure numbers. American Beauty, if you remember from the intro of this episode, I was quoting, uh, there, there's a sort of cold open that it opens with, uh, with Thora Birch speaking into a low-budge home video camera, and she says some of those lines I said at the very beginning of this movie, which uh, were written by a middle-aged white man for a teenage girl to say. Um, Alan Ball. We need a father who, I want a father who's a role model, not some horny geek boy who's going to spray his shorts whenever I bring a girlfriend home from school. Um, but then Fair. we quickly, after the uh, title card, we cut to Kevin Spacey doing a voiceover. And then from then on, baby, we are in Kevin's world. We are in Kevin Spacey's world. Uh, but without saying any more, before we really get into analysis of, of Kevin's world, which I'm going to call, I'm going to refer to as American Beauty from here on out. Um, Joe, can you give us one of your classic uh, 60 second recaps of American Beauty starting now? Lester Burnham is already dead, but he recants to us the last few weeks of his life when it all fell apart in a beautiful way and then ended in a tragic way. So this is a tale of classic uh, suburban ennui and everyone's bored. And Annette Bedding is his wife is a real estate agent. He's a dead end middle management guy and his daughter don't like him none. Anyway, one day he meets a high school girl and that flips his life upside down because he wants to have sex with her so bad 30 seconds left. that he quits his job and he goes into the garage all day and smokes pot that he buys from the neighbor's kid and he works out and he's just wants to have sex with that high school girl for the whole movie. Annette Bedding starts having a lovely affair with the wonderful and talented Peter Gallagher. Oh, I love Peter Gallagher. And Chris Cooper, the neighbor, well, he doesn't like his boy hanging around that strange man because he's a homophobe. And Ten he blows seconds. his brains out because he thinks that uh, the guy is, uh, he's gay too. Or blows Kevin Spacey's brains out. He blows Kevin Spacey's brains out. Chris Cooper, very good at acting. That's a minute. Uh, I want to say first off, so Kevin Spacey uh, provides some voiceover at the beginning, near the end. Uh, he is the narrator of the movie. The movie is very much couched in his point of view. I want to be very clear that as much as this is a satire of suburbia, I guess, satire of life at the end of the American century, I guess, there is no, there is not really any of that satire directed at Kevin Spacey's character. Kevin Spacey, he's not presented as an unreliable narrator. He is not presented as, it's not It's not a character that the movie is sort of encouraging you to uh, dislike or really even no. view as an anti-hero. I think you're supposed to like This him. movie thinks that Kevin Spacey is the hero of its tale and it is very much on his side uh, as he goes through this midlife crisis. 
it may think he's a little naughty sometimes, or it he thinks says he's a little out of line, or he's a little dorky, or this. It's and critical that. of him, but ultimately, ultimately, it is on his side. It is rooting for him. It is it is quite uh, aggressively rooting for him. Um, and even if it doesn't want him to go all the way with the teenage girl, it definitely wants them to have some sort of intimate relationship where they've learned something about each other. The movie wants Kevin the movie pushes Kevin Spacey through each of his little midlife crises, through each of his abusive actions towards his family, his his uh, incredibly inappropriate sexual attraction to uh, uh, this high schooler that he acts upon. Um, the movie is 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 behind him gently encouraging him through every step of this and ultimately views him as its tragic hero. He is the tragic hero of American Beauty, full stop, no equivocation about it. And that is that's that is that's kind of what's wrong with the movie in a nutshell to me. The movie, oh, sorry, I got let me let me get my rant out of the way and then we can By get all some means, scenes. Friend. This movie thinks that the problem in American culture is adulthood that adulthood is like boring and it's conformist and it's and it's uh has no soul to it uh it has no passion it thinks that uh you know, suburban adulthood is the problem what it doesn't realize is that it presents us with one of the actual real problems in American American culture, which is fucking American masculinity. American masculinity is is one of the actual problems in American culture, which you can see in this movie. The movie doesn't realize that it's doing it, but it is American masculinity in this movie is is um uh is sexually abusive, is physically abusive, uh is homophobic, uh is violent. It, it is uh, uh, unconcerned with people around it. It constantly centers itself. It thinks that its problems are the only problems and the most important problems. This movie should have been about to- toxic masculinity, um, uh, but it's not. It's about how adulthood, about men, men are too sort of raw and real and creative and interesting to fit into the conformity of American adulthood. Um, the, the ultimate damnation of American masculinity is that it can't envision a meaningful version of adulthood. American masculinity literally cannot grow up, uh, and yet at the same time, it is it is it is certain without it is absolutely certain of its of its of its centrality of its importance that it is the hero of the story. There is a interesting satire lurking in the wings of American Beauty that it is uninterested in pursuing, and instead, it um, it completely yeah it completely just misses it completely misses the picture. Okay. It's about sexual predators and it thinks it's about like cool guys who sold out and are reclaiming their fucking uh you know youthful passions or whatnot. It's it, not. It's about it fucking does. sexual predation and toxic masculinity. And it's a poster. Let's it's a poster talk, for that. Let's just talk about that for one second yeah. before I we go on. That's interesting. So you're saying that Kevin Kevin we're talking about Kevin Spacey's Kevin character. Kevin Spacey. Let's start and, with and, him. and we'll talk about the Chris Cooper has a whole different set of masculine problems. Kevin Spacey's character at first is a, a loser. Who is a a, a a doormat, and people walk all over him, and then he meets. According to him, he really loves to milk his own fucking. He's a pa- sad. He's a, he's a pathetic loser. Yes. Okay. And he is, but he really milks. He loves being the like nobody he, gets me. He is a pathetic loser. Nobody gets me. He's a pathetic. And what is there to get, baby? He's a pathetic loser. Then the sort of inciting incident of his middle age is that he meets a high school girl with blonde hair and he wants to have sex with her i almost thought i was missing sorry let's because right there i thought i was like missing something Mm -hmm. because there's this point where he sort of like 
he's ha- he's going to have his big midlife crisis. He's going to reclaim his youth. Everything's different for me now. My whole personality is different. I'm going to burn it all down, baby. And I was like, was I missing an inciting incident here? And I wasn't. No. It's just seeing a high school girl yes. at his daughter's yes. uh, basketball That's game. That's correct. Just seeing her. The and, act of seeing her. And he goes goo goo gaga, and then they meet oh, in the parking lot. And he's like, a blah, dream blah, sequence. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, he so gets a full, full Fantasia dream sequence with rose petals coming out of her tits. He loves it. And the rose petals look bad, and Sam Mendes is a mediocre director Thank at you. best. Okay. Then the movie kind of switches to, like, the key of office space, where he's like a free man because he he's liberated by understanding his sexual desires, realizes that he is, quote-unquote, a man, and he wants to have sex, and he wants to get strong and he wants to stand up for himself and it sort of enters the the key. pursuit of muscles it's, he wants muscles so, so bad and, he, and, one, and then he starts having fun he starts smoking pot his wife leaves him and he don't even care because he does the whole game of i'm free and that's sort of what he does for the remainder of the film at the end of the film he has an opportunity to have sex with the high schooler kevin spacey finds her in a vulnerable place because uh, her best friend just sort of left her to go off with the neighbor's uh, neighbor uh, to New York, and she's left alone, all sad. Kevin Spacey sees his opportunity. I meant to say, right there. I meant to yeah. say this when we were watching uh, *Secret of My Success*. Is the same thing, uh, but this movie still in 1999, same thing. Consent isn't even on the radar of these movies. It's wild. It is no. wild. Consent, consent wasn't on the radar for consent wasn't on the radar two and a half of the years culture. Ago. This yeah, is the no. best. This was considered a a like a interesting artsy progressive movie. Consent isn't even a. It's not even a thing. It's a, it's a myth. It's not even a thing that is considered. And same with um, uh, Secret of My Success. Of course, that's the late eighties. But same thing. It's like uh, uh, if you get resistance, just try harder. Is the is the theme of of oh, yeah. these movies? Oh, and yeah. yeah. Anyway, and, and, and Ben Gates is a total misogynist, and and it plays four laps in a that. Disney film, I love that. in yeah. a PG film. Yeah, get his ass. All right. Then in this vulnerable state, this high schooler. He is ready to take advantage of her and proceeds and would have proceeded to have sex with her. Yes. He goes so far as to, and please excuse me, everybody. This is just what happens in this film. No, please. Let's lay it out Lays her down. I'm sorry. This is this, you know, and, and is ready to have sex with her. And at the very last moment, she says, please don't quote, I'm a virgin. And then alas, he lets up his shoulder and bodies change his eyes. He goes, Ooh, Nelly sits back. And he's like, I almost had sex with this high schooler who was in a vulnerable place. But, you know, uh, I can't. And the now. tone of the movie no, yeah. literally is like, now, now, Lester. And then when he lets off, he's like, good boy, Lester. Uh, good boy. Okay, good, so good, my, good job, Lester. Thank you. The whole time I was breaking it down, you've been narrating it as if the film is uh, yes anding Lester's choices. And I and I like that you did that because I just want to double check when they made this movie. Were they yes anding his choices? Or were they, um, or is it supposed to be set up that this guy is uh, an? El- is this is the character as written by Alan Ball, who I'll get yes. to in a second, yes. and as directed by Sam Mendes? Yes. Is he? Here's the question: Is he supposed to be a mean loser? And this is sort of about three suburban losers, but Spacey, a famous predator, yeah, charisma's his way into the film being sort of. Uh, um, him taking sort of center stage in some sort of redemptive arc. After that moment, what happens to him is that he gets um, his head blown off in the kitchen. So my, by a homophobic so, lunatic who is present, who is presented as the true 
the movie is ultimately kind of empathetic towards him, but is presented as like the true villain of of the movie. I think that that Lester Burnham, the movie at so, so worst, what I'm saying is the movie is, is happy to blow Kevin Spacey's head off at the end of this film as a tragic hero of the movie, as as, as, as someone saying, who is right, too okay. good for this world, who is okay. too good for this crazy mixed up world of ours. Is he that was too what you think? honest and too authentic? You're kidding. Absolutely, that's what the movie is saying. I, it is the, honest. It is saying yeah. like at worst, at worst, he is sort of. A little naughty. He's a little geeky. At worst, at best, though, the movie finds in him a redemptive arc for all of us who have given up on our, uh, given up on joy, given up on passion, who have let materialism or blah blah blah, whatever Annette Benning is meant to represent, that, take over our lives. The movie is very much in his corner. That's in certainly corner. that's certainly that's certainly true in the sense that that's how it felt the entire time. I'm just wondering. I'm sort of putting Spacey against Ball here because his head gets blown off pretty dramatically. Lots of blood splattering on white tile. Um, this movie is supposed. So, so is this movie supposed to be? It, okay, so the movie feels like a satire of suburbia at the end of the millennium, like Brett said. And here's our disgusting little Stepford Wives Truman Show characters. We have the cookie cutter wife played. Wonderfully sorry by Annette Bennett, who's get a wonderful to that. We actor. Will get Excuse me. To she's fantastic. That. We will get to that. Um, she's a real estate agent. Ew. Uh, right? Like, this is very, you know, a lot of... Uh, so it's obviously a satire, right? It's a lot of... The movie does not like her. The movie likes Lester Burnham. The movie does not like yes, Annette Bennett. Yes, yes, yes. And then the third character sort of... Well, the third character sort of focusing on is their daughter who hates them. Dora Birch. And then there's their neighbor. So Chris Cooper is the homophobic and uh, ex-military. Ex-military. Um, Collects Nazi uh, you know, yeah, memorabilia. Yeah. You know, he's real hardcore and his son he treats pretty terribly. Beats the Physically shit out of Physically abuses him. This and and then the son is like a, a weirdo. Little emo boy like with his video camcorder like and this and that. Sell yeah. Thor Birch on his sexual necessity sure, or Jesus like he, he, he's yeah. like hot yes yes so okay so obviously we're, we're in the key of satire here the reason that i guess i'm so loath to give it i'm so loath to give it that moniker is that it it doesn't play a satire it, it plays it punches as, down it fucking punches down the whole movie yes it plays as um an atheist telling you that god's not real but you're not 12, you're just regular, and you're like, got it. So it's a satire. It's a satire that picks that picks easy targets and, easy misses, targets. and misses, but misses big, important targets. But I think that Kevin Spacey, I'm giving, why am I, I, I'm giving credit right now, but trust me, folks, this movie is a stinker. I, can I rephrase, but, but, can I rephrase yeah, uh, what uh, I think uh, you're saying? So uh, I think you're saying that the... Kevin Spacey, uh, a, a now established known sexual predator, yeah. um, is brings a likability or charisma to the character that was not on the page, or maybe he just was not intended. Sells it. Maybe but he, I don't think there is. It. There's a couple times in the in Act Two when Kevin Spacey's doing his whole "I don't care" thing, where if you if you aren't paying a hundred percent attention, you just might go. LOL. You know, you might just in your head be like, say la vie, Kevin Spacey. He he brings Ke Spacey is an act. Spacey is a showman and uh he's and a, a showman. I want to say though, actor. I want to say though, he, he is a showman yeah. and he is he has all these stratagems he of a is manipulator. Of a groomer and I'm a saying, manipulator. So he might have manipulated the audience. Like 
I'm not saying I rooted for his character or his character was good, but you're saying that the movie thinks his character is good. And what I'm saying the is... The movie roots for I this character. The, the movie's in the, the corner of this character. I think the movie is against all of these characters. No. And the only reason that... You think that you is... Because Kevin Spacey, Spacey is an amazing actor. No, no, that's, I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is Spacey kind of sells it. I, uh -huh. no, no, no. I would punch back against one thing. I actually think this is a... I don't think this is a great performance from Kevin Spacey. I don't think so either. Okay. No, I'm just saying okay. I, I completely agree. I actually... It's a hammy... I, I'm it's not, a hammy overcooked performance. In movies, not yeah. in real life. I'm not a Spacey apologist in real life. <laughs> but in movies and films and television, I'm a Spacey apologist because his big hammy... BS shtick is one of it was one of my favorites. Uh, like like his whole House of Cards thing, I just couldn't get enough of. I love Spacey doing his his like Carson impressions on on the television. I could watch the him material, be a big ham. The material all day long. suits in House of Cards better though, because people are getting pushed in front of trains and it's he's like mean. He's heightened mean. Washington this and that. In this movie, I think it is a it, it is a notably bad performance. I don't uh, think it's good be, either. Because it's a it's a bad Which performance is sad because it is. I want a good space. Um, I don't even. Here's here's what I want to do now. Okay, I don't even. I don't even want to waste any more time talking about Spacey because we are missing a huge huge component of this movie that I want to spend some real time talking about. It is what I was alluding to earlier. It is the one asterisk on this being a a not just a bad movie but just a a a. Uh, like, I, I think it's bad cinematically, and I think the messaging is is even worse. Uh, uh, but the one asterisk on that is Annette Benning is absolutely fantastic in this movie as Carolyn Burnham. Yeah. Uh, nominated for the Academy Award, lost to Hilary Swank, the first of two losses to Hilary Swank. This one, though, for, for was for Swank in, in no, uh, Boys Don't Cry. Boys in Boys Don't Cry. Boys Don't Cry. Boys Don't Cry. Okay, wow. Uh, so, you know, deserved great movie, great oh, performance. Yeah. Um, but, love. okay. So Annette Benning is fantastic in this movie. I want to watch the I Will Sell This House Today scene because I think it's fucking amazing. It is really good. Uh, she, like, in in the world of this movie, which we've already talked about how much we don't like, she finds so many things to do, so many interesting things, so many great line reads. She's so funny. Mm -hmm. She's so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. She is uh, both real and a sat and satirical at the same time. She is so good at finding that thing where it is... Satire, it's a little exaggerated, but it also is very painfully fucking real. Um, she is so good in this. And this came out, so this movie came out in 1999. Obviously. My hot take, my big old steaming hot take, is that starting with this performance in 1999, then continuing, I'm not even going to mention being Julia in 2004, which was her other Oscar nomination that she lost to Hillary Swank for. Uh, the the, the um, oh really? Uh, yeah, second second of three for uh, million dollar actress for million dollar baby. I'm not even gonna mention being Julia, uh, which she's great in. Mm -hmm. Starting in 99 with American Beauty, mm -hmm. continuing in 2010 with the kids are all right, culminating in 2016 with 20th Century Women, which I think is the best uh, performance by an actor in the 20th century. I think is she's absolutely absolutely phenomenal in that movie. American Beauty, Kids Are All Right, 20th Century Women, this trifecta. I think Benning, if we're going by sort of trajectory, the moment, the way people are trending, recent body of work, I think these three movies, Annette Benning surpasses Meryl Streep as the best American actress uh, on film in the 21st century. And I don't mean to pit them against each other, this and that, just Meryl Streep I think is widely accepted as the best living actress um, uh, on film. I think if you take the full body of work, that is still true, but if we're just going based off, I'm going to edge American Beauty into the 21st century. It happened on the cusp. No, that's right? fair. I think Annette Bening, 
just based on her work in those three movies alone is the best American actress on film in the 21st century. I love the take and far be it for me to push back because I want that to be true. You I go, think I think they look I caught you off this guard. Is I want you to yeah. go I uh, want you to go this week. Okay. You go. Okay. Find me and a better because I'm only, the look, best actress of the t- actress of the 20th century. Yes. 21st, 21st century. <laughs> Thank you very 21st much. 21st century. Okay, 21st century. I'm making an argument for from 2000 to 2022. You're saying an, I, I love, I love the take. I think I'm 20th gonna, century th- women is what sold it for me. That is a a uh, the most. She wasn't even fucking nominated for best actress Brett, for that movie. That is one of the most phenomenal she, fucking performances you'll ever see in a movie. She is wonderful in the movie, and folks. I don't need any the more. I don't the need any more. Is so finely I, I know you guys are are trying to warm up to me, and I don't. I want. I want you. <laughs> I want you to continue to like me, but I just have to say that, and this is not going to help me at all. Twentieth century women is fine. Her performance. That's all we're talking about. Beautiful. That's all we're talking about. The movie's fine. Um, I love uh, the movie. The movie's fine. She is fantastic. The in movie, it. absolutely guys, fantastic. Guys, and this is like uh, you know what? Oh, whatever. Maybe maybe I'm just the guy you fucking hate. Yeah, the movies, my hipster bullshit radar alarm kind of goes That's off. That's fine. When I watch I'm just talking about her performance in it. I'm just talking about her she's, performance. She's she's an amazing actor. Yeah. Okay, so I love the take. I want to come back next Annette week. Annette Bening, best American actress. Well, here's the thing. A best American actress. I did say American actress. Kate Winslet, not American actress. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not crazy about that as a category. It's just it's just a category. It just it could uh, be, look that Bill, you're not crazy about the category, but Brett, that just is the category right yes. now. So I'm yeah. going to come back and tell you. And folks, you know I love Kristen Stewart. Does she, she can't compete right now. She can't compete right now. Maybe in maybe in 2050, we can have a conversation. Yeah. But right now, yeah. I mean, as much as I love Kristen Stewart, I'm not going to sit here and, and look, look you in the eyes and tell her. And that Benning's Benning, not as good. It's just better, based off of those Kristen three. Stewart. It's just based off of those three movies. So you want me to find a better three I think movie she run? Surpassed, I think she surpassed Streep. I think Streep's body of work in the 21st century has been. Uh, look! Look! Hit, hit cash checks. It's very. It's very. It's very hit or miss. Um, and so, whereas Benning seems to have been uh, more selective, more honed in, and those three movies in particular, American Beauty, Kids Are Alright, Twentieth Century Women, really that body of work to me is that that moved her past Streep. That moved her past Streep on the on the charts. I love it. I, mine would. I love Meryl Streep. But mine wouldn't be Streep for this. Um, I have to go back and look at my my American actors. Are, it doesn't have to women. be streep. I'm just yes. going okay. based off like what is you know it, it's almost like a uh, you know uh, a foregone conclusion at this point that streep, yeah, yeah, yeah. streep is the goat yeah. and this and that yeah, right. Yeah. So going oh, just oh, off oh, of oh. that public perception and look, we love streep. We love streep. Yeah. Here, here, I, I, there's a bunch of young. Benning there's a bunch of young folk the, over the last twenty. There's years, a bunch of Benning young folk that are gonna. You know, it's years. like. You know they're they're coming up. They're the Devin Bookers. They're the Trey Youngs. Sure. They're, you're Kristen Stewart. There's the Kristen Stewart. You're Lupita Nyong'o's. They're gonna su- they're gonna uh, exceed these people uh, if somebody would cast them in a fucking movie. Where's Lupita? Thank you. Can some what happened? Thank okay, you. all Lupita ever did was Thank good you. work and win awards and make money, and then she just yeah. stops getting work. Did I miss something? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I love it, Brett. I can't wait to get back to you um, next week with my favorite American actress of the 21st century. Um, I love Annette in this film. This is an actor who's completely in control of this script. Keep and, talking. And I'm going to queue up. I will sell this house today. This is an actor who's completely in control of what they're trying to accomplish in this film. I, Kevin Spacey's performance. He his performance paired with his. 
part is so strange. I can't tell what Alan Ball and Sam Mendez's perspective on that guy is. He's such a miserable little loser that I have that. And he gets his head blown off at the end. I have to think they, like, know he stinks. Brett's making a convincing argument the other way that they think he's cool. I don't think so. But I know one thing. Annette Bedding's character makes all the sense in the world because she's an amazing actor. And she plays the part perfectly. This scene, she elevates uh, to the nth degree and probably one... Everybody but her and Oscar, just for this scene alone. And Peter Gallagher, never sorry to see Peter Gallagher, folks. And I'm not sorry to see him here as the charming uh, and uh, um, and also not charming. Here we go, here we go. I will sell this house today. Hell yes, you will, Annette. Rooting for She makes me root for real estate agents. She's so This is this one money. This is, the, this is the score. The moves. Look at the look at the jet the it's a great physical performance. Yeah, she sells the movie today. Yeah, that's what she's doing. And there's something a little silly to it, but there it's still is, it's believable. Hype. And it's like, she nails she's the manic. meaning of the scene. She nails the meaning of the scene while adding layers of complexity to what is a fairly on-paper archetypal awesome. character. Shit, maybe you're right. I mean, I'm really going to give this a thing. The instrument is so finely tuned. The face, the voice. She's well, one of the best vocal actors, too. One of the best vocal American actors, the voice, the intonation, the control of the dialogue. A simple cream could really lighten things up. She's presenting the house to a bunch so of she's, unenthusiastic she's doing, she's buyers. Doing, you know, this, is, this is the level of satire. Like, you know, think about this on the page without really Annette. It's like, yep, real estate agents are bad. Thank you. The Thanks, American Beauty. Yep, they're liars. They gotta stretch the truth. These two are These two are fun. This what do you call song. this? And that's great. Is this not a now plant? Now she's getting mad. She's starting to get mad. If you have mad. a problem with the plants, I can always call my landscape architect. That little pause. Salt. I mean, I think oh, lagoon, so I think waterfall, I think tropical. This is a cement hole. Uh, I have some tiki torches in the garage. Now, she didn't sell the house. She did not yeah. sell the house today. Now she's alone in the house with these cheap blinds. She Closes them. Closes them. She turns. Oh, she's crying. Oh my god. Like <laughs> fucking like. She was she was doing like a goofy clean the house montage two seconds ago. Yeah, it was great. She, I buy both yes. both parts a hundred percent. I buy her being goofy oh, and silly and a little comical. I buy her. I buy this deep intense drama that she's giving us right now. I buy it all. She sells it and she can turn on a dime. All right, she composes herself. She walks towards the But she's camera. still a little defeated. Past but, but composed but defeated. The shutters are left. That is a fucking master right there. That is a master of the form. Nothing. All right, I didn't dress as a bag for nothing. If we, we got to watch the bag scene. I didn't wear this damn bag costume. No, no. We're not going to watch the bag scene. You want to see the most beautiful thing I've ever filmed? Uh, this movie sucks. I don't. This, this is, is so bare ass taking a dump. Might as well be. It's a. It's a. It's a plastic bag. Blowing in the wind. Alan Ball said that he saw a bag blowing in the wind one time, and that's what he got the inspiration from uh, for this scene in American Beauty. He said that 
Life at its most mundane can also be its most beautiful. This is a true story, and I think that that is uh, one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. Um, far be it for me to criticize Alan Ball, but let's this all be honest, folks. A plastic bag blowing in the wind is not the most beautiful thing that we've ever it. seen, folks. I think we could all agree. It's trash! Throw it, in the, throw it in the garbage can! Yeah, kid, why don't you go pick up the trash and throw it away? No, but seriously, and the fact that he thinks that this is cool, you know, it speaks to how lame he is, maybe, or... Dancing. But I just told you that the screenwriter thinks that this is beautiful. Maybe he feels like this is a real moment. I find the son character who gets abused in, in a horrible way, and I, you know, but I find him to be um, so deeply uh, obnoxious. Well, um, he has. I think if the movie, and again, it's right there, but the movie doesn't ultimately pursue it. I think this character could have been about uh, how abuse is inherited, internalized, and then passed on to other. You know, passed on other people, so that he is abused by Chris Cooper, physically abused, mentally abused, um, but he internalizes that abuse and then in turn becomes abusive and manipulative towards other people, most notably Thor Birch's character here. He fucking films her without his without her consent, which the movie admits is like creepy, but not like no, not no, problematic they beyond they that. They embrace. They, they, it's, the, it's, once the women discover he's doing that, one of them literally flashes uh, her, yes, her bare yes. chest at him. The message right. is it like is it like you don't? It's just the that, female characters don't understand the depth of what house. the men are doing. Just the playful this. animal. They need to come still, around to the depth of what is going on. It's in the bloodstream. I think the movie could have even presented this as manipulative. I don't necessarily buy. I don't buy. That's why his, I hate this guy. Right. He's saying that like he has uh, picked up on the fact that Thor Birch's character is vulnerable and sensitive. Yeah. Uh, has a sort of poetic soul. Wants more out of life. Uh, uh, doesn't buy into uh, a traditional uh, masculinity. And so I think he is. He has read that. And then is presenting. He's like, "What did I film that I could fucking sell as as fucking uh, thoughtful? Oh, that right. plastic bag that one time when the right. camera was left on. Right. But Let me go grab that and act like that's some big fucking poetic artistic statement. And then, uh, sure enough, wins him a kiss. But okay. But, but the he, movie is he, not he telling us it's manipulative. But the movie is, thinks this is sincere. And that I guess is why this movie is bad because we are sitting here just trying to figure out." what this movie's point of view. And I want to say a thing that's like, think about this. Alan Ball from Marietta, Georgia. Yes, he is. He went to Wheeler he, High School. And he went to U University of Georgia. Yes, he did. And then he left for Florida State. How's that make you feel? Well, you finally did your research and it was about that? How's that make you feel? It's like Alan Ball's education. He left Georgia. He was sitting there. And he said, this stinks. Eh, it would have been, been worse if he went to worse he went to Gainesville. University of Florida is the truer rival. And uh, Florida State has a great film school, so why don't hold it against Alan him? Ball wrote True Blood... He wrote Six Feet Under. Six Feet Under, baby. Did he baby? mean How? for this to be satire? Did he mean for this to be criticism? It obviously is critical. He is critical of suburban America. And is he critical of American masculinity? You say no. I would say that uh, this movie is critical of American masculinity. Alan Ball's a homosexual man. And the yes, Cooper, but very, but yeah. very, in a very limited way. In a very Perhaps. limited way. Perhaps. I, I guess like I can't even comprehend the amount of limited way that you're pitching me. It would make the movie even worse in my brain, which is almost impossible. I found the movie to be um, uh, uh, dreadfully on the nose, childish, um, obnoxious, sort of like fake it's like somebody writing about somewhere they've never been before was sort of the feeling for me 
I, you know, I don't know if you grew up in a suburb or what suburb, you, or you grew up in Marietta. Like, this doesn't feel like the suburb. None you of them grew look like. No, no, no. This, this is, is this like is a he leave watched. It to Beaver a, yeah, he watched a lot of American television and movies, and he's yes. like, you know what I think from outside of this certain community? It's it's like cultural appropriation of the suburbs. It's like it's like he's like, you know what these guys are doing over there? They're they're and it's true. But you know, it's you know, it's not. And he's from Marietta. Not, he's from not, Marietta. The satire is in Marietta pointed. is a suburb. It couldn't get more suburban. It's not. It's not re- like it's the satire is not hitting. If it hit, it obviously hit in 1999. People went gaga People for the loved film. Loved it. But the satire today, it no longer hits because I think it's this movie's cringy. This movie's lame. Um, the performances would and and you know screenwriting teachers think this is the be all end all of structure. Structure is not everything, folks. Structure is not everything. Structure can be the end. It can be. It can be. Structure can be very boring. It can be. It can ruin an authentic experience of a movie. And in this case, uh, I think it does. The movie. There are a couple moments where there are a couple moments like like we've been we've been giving this movie. We've kind of been giving this movie a lot of credit in criticizing it. I'm just I'm just trying to figure it out. No, but but me too. What I'm saying is like this movie is kind of just like. Trash at times, like kind of just like bad, yeah, bad. Just bad, bad, bad. It's just so we're, bad. We're kind no of we're, we're like... talking about it in the context of right, its reception right. at the time, but like there is a sequence when um, uh, after the first time they have dinner and Kevin Spacey goes into the kitchen to follow his daughter, who uh, uh, you know uh, he, he's been fighting with his wife, and the daughter's like fuck this, and goes into the kitchen. He goes into the kitchen to be like, sweetie, how do we get back? How do we get us back? How do we maintain it? Right? Yeah, so so that kind of thing. Blah 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 blah. blah, blah, like blah, blah, blah right? And then. The whole time uh, he's being filmed by uh, the the neighbor boy in the backyard, um, and there's a shot where he like he like uh, startles and looks up, uh, and then the neighbor boy's like gone. Right, it's that kind of a scene where it's like he's been there, and Kevin Spacey senses his presence, mm-hmm. but they don't do anything to cue why he sensed his presence not the snapping of a twig not the movement of something in his peripheral he literally kevin spacey's just washing dishes and then just goes Whoa? yeah yeah huh? i thought i saw something why yeah why was that a sound like it's just it's like it's just bad filmmaking and then the worst part is after that kevin spacey's eyes like drift down to the side like this literally like drift down like this and there is a framed photo of the family at a younger period when they're all happy. Uh, the daughter is young and they're at like an amusement park and they're all just full of joy. And it's a black and white photo in a frame. On the uh, on the, the kitchen countertop next to the sink, like right where all the like utensils, the big utensils and serving utensils are, it is, the, it is in a place where a framed photo of your family would never be. Be. Next point. to the sink yeah, on the kitchen is, counter, honestly, and it's just there. A direct hit on American Beauty. Thank you. Is honestly that sequence, yeah, which if you're watching in Forever Dog Plus, uh, it's very visual. We'll be playing right now, or has been playing. Um, it is such bad filmmaking at a really cheesy level. It's almost like camp. It's like something would happen in a John so Waters movie where you're yeah. just like, my family. Oh, and then you look down. There's a framed photo of your family right where you need it to be at that moment. It is just. Like, uh, because it was such a cultural phenomenon, I like really attacking it at sort of higher levels. But you can attack this movie at very basic levels of filmmaking and performance. I wonder if there was some camp elements that were captured due to actors' performances, but something that Sam Mendes was completely and totally unavailable to handle as a director. He is so such a boring... 
uh, stale. I find him him and his movies to be so sort of basic and simple that maybe he was sort of missing some of the campy cues in this script. And then everybody was sort of happy to everyone. It's just sort of it's almost like Ball wouldn't have got Sp- uh, Mendez yeah. to be the director of this film. Maybe, maybe because yeah. that's what I'm. All these conversations. or Mendez camped it up too much. It's one direction or the other. I think that some of the actors understood. Like Spacey's performance was like a little um, exaggerated. Betting Bettings is exaggerated, but 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 earned because she's a good actor. Um, I just wonder if some they were they they were in a movie that they knew was a little dumb not dumb but like campy satire but Mendez was kind of shooting it like this is the realest shit in the world this is what's going on look at how depraved everybody is our our culture American culture is uh, such a, uh, a swamp to quote that's uh, why you need a, that's why you need a, Trump, a rascally president. Pink Floyd loving pot smoking dad with nothing to lose yeah. to set this culture right Let's again see the hero. This, I guess we're we're spinning in or I'm spinning in circles, Brett, because this movie is a stinker, um, it's and a big I think I'm ready to put it in uh, a certain canon. I One thing I want to push back yeah. at uh, once again, and that before Annette Bening's, this is how good of an actor Annette Bening is. She, as much as I hate this movie, I love her performance. Oh, yeah. Her performance literally kept American Beauty a little bit in the running for me this week to go into the canon, just based on her performance, her performance alone. I also want to push back slightly against your characterization of Alan Ball. This movie obviously is a big stinker, uh, but Six Feet Under, one of the best shows of all time, and is so finely tuned in the in the writing, and obviously he had a you know a staff on that, but it's his vision. He's the showrunner, etc. Um, I feel like Six Feet Under, which started in 2001, a year after this, to me, I wonder if Six Feet Under was a little bit of a corrective of what he saw in American Beauty, of what his script became in American Beauty. That's what I'm wondering because Six right? Feet Under is so finely tuned. That's what this I'm movie is too. so um, unfinely tuned. It is well such structured. A mess. It is such a mess. They but in the performances, you. in the pitch, in the aesthetic, in the themes, in everything that you can have control over in a movie, uh, uh, Mendez really fumbles the ball. And it does I feel th- a lot like awful. Mendez because he's a guy who wants to him. have... He sort of fashions himself as an auteur, I think. He's a guy who... That, that, 100%. Who, 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 uh, um, is, he's like a guy in search of a signature style. He's a, he's a, he's a he's a four hired director in search of auteurism. I know. Uh, and stinks. American Beauty is kind of the epitome, I think, of that. Oh, uh, there is one film of his that I do like very much. Give it to me. Guess. Uh, I mean, he did a couple Bond movies. No, uh, not yeah, he made nineteen seventeen. is just an exercise. Is just he a took a great thing, Daniel Craig's Bonds, and he just like boring oh revolutionary road revolutionary revolutionary road. Road. but other than revolutionary road which again is just good because kate winslet and leonardo yeah, dicaprio nice performs and michael shannon yeah just because yeah they're they're it's this sort of same thing with american beauty those performances are carrying it yeah, his stuff road, is road to perdition so 1917 boring. what are we doing Here, uh, look, what are we doing look, look, we're not trying to shit on road to perdition on this podcast okay that's not what we do. We don't sit here and sit around and shit on Road to Perdition, okay? Well, we, we, it might not be what you do. Nah, I've never seen Road to Perdition. Oh, you never seen it? No. Great I don't like Sam Mendes Great from Paul Newman. 1917, guys. Kind of a stink Folks, it's, it, did, did you do a good job doing a good thing with camera? Yeah, no doubt. The movie's stupid. I'm not, you get, 1917 heads out there. What Sh- are you going to do? Watch 1917 again? Our, Tom Shelping, our guest from last week, uh, compared it to just like watching a watching somebody else play a first-person shooter, it watching sucks. someone else play a video game, Thanks, Tom. which I, I think agree. is a very coherent way of All playing right, it. All right, let's do it. 
Uh, it's an exercise in style without substance. Um, uh, American beauty is an exercise in uh, a lack of style and a lack of substance uh, and would be a complete fucking garbage fire if not for Annette Benning. Uh, they should have given Hillary Swank. Uh, uh, they should have get rid of the fucking gender categories. They just should have given it to Hillary Swank and Annette Benning, the two best actors of nineteen uh, movies that came out in nineteen ninety. Yeah, probably. Fuck Kevin Spacey. I cannot believe you. Want to, I don't have time to talk about that right now, though. I just have time to put something in the. All camera. right, uh, Joe. I am going to put, despite its uh, tacit endorsement of American imperialism, I am going to put National Treasure in the canon. I'm going to put American Beauty in the trash canon. Yeah. Um, do you concur? I think you do. I, I told you up top that I did. And, uh, folks, I haven't changed my mind. American Beauty, a stinker, national treasure, a, a rip-roaring, good time. Uh, uh, and, yeah, you're going to have to deal with the fact that it's a silly, uh, stupid film. Going in the canon, baby. National treasure, Nick Cage. Nick Cage's first entry into the canon. He'll have many more. Next week on the pod, we are doing an Ethan Hawke double feature. This is very exciting. Uh, We are going to be looking at two Ethan Hawke movies that both take place uh, in uh, over the course of a night of a single night. Mm. Uh, The first one from the art house is uh, Before Sunrise. Richard Linklater's Before Sunrise, the first of that trilogy. And the second one, The Purge. Come out, Purge purge heads. Come out, Purge heads and play. Brett, do you know I've seen every single Purge film? I did not know that, and I can't wait to talk about that. I might watch the whole Purge franchise between this. Uh, oh, we're recording all of, we're recording watch, two days. We're watch all of the days. Purge franchise and all of the Before Sunrise trilogy. I might try, I might try to do that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I have no idea where I'm going with this one. This is going to be a total toss-up. I, I neither do I, because I haven't seen yes. that Linklater movie in, for like, this is going to be exciting. I'm sure it's amazing. This I cannot be wait to watch. Yeah, yeah. Before Sunrise versus The Purge, Ethan Hawkeheads, come out and play with us. Come on now. Follow us at Weekend Bergman. Send us fan art. Send us your theme song renditions at weekendbergman at gmail.com. Thank you much for hanging out, so much for hanging out with us. Fuck American beauty and fuck America. Goodbye. Forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.